0: G'day guys, CB here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Chewing the Fat. For our last ep of season one, JY and myself answered your questions. This week was entirely Q&A, which allowed us to cover some important topics in the world of health and fitness, as well as some arguably less important life issues. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already, and hit us up on Instagram at ChewingTheFat underscore podcast. Hope you enjoy. G'day guys and welcome to Chewing the Fat with CB and JY. I am CB, Chris Bryson. And I'm JY, James Young. Chris, how are you mate? It's a pleasure to be here. It is, as always. Um, pleasure to be here for the 12th and final time for season one in 2020. Um, what a journey it's been so far, James. It's been a big 12 weeks. Um, a bit more I think than 12 weeks. It has, hasn't it? We had
1: a little bit of a hiatus, but we've learned, we've laughed, we've loved um, each other and our company, and uh, I'm pretty excited for uh, what's to come with the
0: podcast. It's uh, Yeah, it's been awesome, mate, of uh, something that I've certainly really, really enjoyed. It started as a bit of a lockdown project for us in Melbourne with not a hell of a lot else to do. We, uh, we thought we had some decent information to share to the people, and hopefully we've done that over 12 episodes, plus an intro, 13, um, 13 episodes, We've, uh, we've been global and trending in, uh, in seven or eight countries, which is fantastic. And that um, only grows
1: by the week, too. That only
0: grows by the week. We've had some brilliant feedback um, from a few loyal listeners, which is great. Um, and yeah, it's been awesome, mate. Yeah,
1: to think that, like, uh, you know, both of us are receiving messages from, you know, not just mates, but people who don't actually, you know, have really any association with saying how much they enjoy the podcast and um, how much they like us. It's, uh, well, like listening to us. It's, um, Yeah, it's quite humbling, actually, because this was, you know, we didn't really have expectations for this. We just wanted to try something. And um, I think as we, you know, as we get better, the podcast will get better. And, um, you know, we love the feedback that's coming through, the good and the bad feedback or the negative feedback. We um, want to, you know, keep bringing you guys um, good content and
0: uh, plenty of terrible banter. Absolutely. It's been a learning curve for both of us and I think we have learned and refined our craft a little bit and, and got better and better. So we do welcome the feedback, as you said, both good and bad. Um, for the 12th episode today and the last one for, for season one, 2020, we've got a and a So purely question and answers to answer the questions that you guys um, have kindly given us and stood into our DNMs with. DMs. I always say DMs. DMs. DMs, yeah. Right direct right. messages, not deep yeah. and meaningful conversations. Although they are some oh, deep and This is a deep and meaningful conversation. Though. Um, but I will just quickly jump ahead if I can. Season 2 next year. We've done a little bit of planning already and we've got a bit more planning to come. Mm-hmm. Super, super exciting. Um, the next day for chilling the Fat, I uh, absolutely cannot wait. We've got some awesome guests lined up already and a couple of others Should in the pipeline. One teaser for nah. the uh, listeners? No, nah, not letting them know if they can sweat on it all summer, mate, all over Christmas and New Year's. Um, but early in the year, mate, we'll be back with some awesome guests and awesome topics. Um, and yeah, a few new things to uh, to throw your, your way.
1: You don't want to tell them which uh, 12 Bulldogs players are coming on the podcast over 12 weeks to interview?
0: Um... No
1: No, okay no, no. Then we'll have to uh, Is we'll Adam Trelaw one of them? Adam sure is one of them Oh, Yeah, they've confirmed as the Bulldogs player. Oh, great, okay So, mate,
0: you know You can uh, have sour grapes all you want But enjoy your, uh, yeah We'll have to we'll try to get Jeremy well Cameron on, mate things, So I uh, right? We'll have to get Jeremy Cameron on as well So I don't feel too left out I think Jeremy Cameron can speak <laughs> Alright, so let's get into it for today, mate Q&A and, Q and um, Take us away, j
1: Um, So we've got a first question here from Tess89, Uh, this one's for you Chris, she has sent in, I've been suffering with lower back pain on and off for a number of years now. It has never been bad enough to stop me doing the things I want to be doing, however it has never completely gone away despite seeing multiple therapists. The one thing I do notice is that I feel best when I am active. What are the best exercises to manage back pain in the long term?
0: Best exercises to manage back pain. Well, if this isn't the absolute million-dollar question, um, thanks, Tess. Sounds like a bit of a frustrating journey for you, Tess. If you bounce around between multiple people and never quite achieved um, the absolute results that you're after. Um, I mean, to answer this, uh, there is a significant amount of evidence. It tells us that exercise is effective in the treatment and management of low back pain um, in terms of both improving people's pain and improving people's function. So it sounds like for Tessa, her function hasn't been affected too much, but it is that lingering and nagging pain that is still an ongoing issue for her, which it is for, unfortunately, such a high percentage of the population. Um, the unfortunate thing in answering this question is that there is no consensus as to what form of exercise is best or what the absolute best exercises are. For back pain, it is a case by case basis and it completely depends on the individual i wish i could say you know this is the gold standard this is the answer or this type of exercise is best for everyone or do these two or three specific things but unfortunately we just can't um the only thing we really know is that exercise in general is awesome. Now, to be a little bit more specific, there's plenty of different options out there for what exercises can be useful. Um, I'm talking things such as strength training, walking, running, swimming, yoga, Pilates, just to name a few. These are all really popular methods and they all have their place in treating lower back pain. Um, Pilates is something that's worth touching on because Pilates is, is a massive thing when it comes to the treatment of lower back pain, especially in the physio world. And it's a really good option because Pilates is fantastic um, for strengthening up, particularly your core, your hips, your legs, and your glutes, which are all really, really important when it comes to back pain. I used to instruct and teach Pilates quite a few years ago. It's something that I really, really enjoyed and I sort of do miss. Pilates gets thrown into this category with yoga that it's this sort of girly form of exercise and I can tell you right now, it's not just for girls. Having done Pilates, it's pretty tough. It is super tough, it really shouldn't be in that category and it is becoming more popular for males in recent times and I think because there's lots of high level athletes, AFL footballers, for example, that sort of go and do Pilates for additional recovery benefits and injury prevention benefits and it's sort of broken that stigma a little bit. Um, It's a really great option and it's, it's a good option for many. It can help with low back pain, however, my one hesitation i do have with pilates is it can often be sold by people in the physio world as a cure um, because people have vested interests where you can go to a physio clinic or an osteoclinic for example who does clinical pilates and they want to sell every single person their pilates programs because that's going to help their business essentially and, and for a lot of people it is great uh, but there are some people who it's not necessarily the best option and it can't necessarily be sold as a cure um my personal bias in terms of the best things for lower back pain would be generally to create some form of combination of resistance training and light cardio. Now, resistance training can be anything from gym a few times a week, it could be Pilates, it could be some home exercises, and light cardio can be anything between walking, swimming, running, cycling, etc. And I find some sort of combination between the two where cardio is just going to get you moving, give you the general health benefits, and resistance training is going to keep your muscles and your bones and your joints strong, healthy, and resilient to support your back. I think, you know, Personally, for most people, some sort of combination in that area is going to work best. But most importantly, you've got to see what you enjoy. Because if you hate a particular form of exercise, it doesn't matter how good it is, you're not going to stick to it, you're not going to get the results. So you've got to find a form of exercise that you enjoy. Um, Tess said that she does notice that she feels best when she's active. Well, find out what form of activity she enjoys the most and what works best for her, and be really consistent, create good habits, as we've chatted about in a previous mm. episode, and stick to them in the long term.
1: And, like, that's that's the most comprehensive answer I reckon you've given on this podcast and you're a man of comprehensive answers too. So I think the, uh, you know, my little um, bit to add is that a lot of people sort of look at strength training and resistance training um, as a potential um, risk, I guess, in regards to lower back uh, pain and back uh, um, injuries. So obviously that's a stigma that isn't true. Um, Obviously, yeah, if you're loading up a barbell and trying to deadlift from the floor with, you know, horrible form and um, far too much load well then yeah okay you're putting yourself at risk but that's you know that's like riding a bike into oncoming traffic and saying well bike riding is dangerous it's <laughs> like great analogy at the end of the day I really like that one actually I just that up did you? Um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so if you um, yeah if you um, you know if you look at it from our side the benefits of resistance training are that it is quite simple um, to learn and to do a lot of people find it quite motivating because it's not super taxing and fatiguing and you know there's the add yeah, you know aesthetic bonus so i find with most people who come to me with back pain once they get a consistent exercise regime um uh, in the gym obviously they're then moving more in general and that you know that dormance that they were have that they had before has led to you know a lot more mobility um in the back and they're actually moving so um yeah we are biased but um you know there is a reason for us Mm-hmm. so just putting that as out as long of. as we can
0: recognise their biases it's no, exactly, okay exactly all biases
1: are okay if you
0: can recognise them hey Chris exactly right I heard a really good quote the other day I think I'm going to stuff this up but it's to have someone said on a different podcast to have really strong opinions but hold them loosely mm. which I really liked mm, I do like that yeah that's not bad no yeah. it's not bad um, cool alright all next, um, next one mate is probably more for you JY from Nayday N-A-E-D-A-Y Nay Nayday N-A-E-D-A. How to curb cravings, and I say cravings with both a question mark and an exclamation mark. How do we curb cravings, Jay? Yeah, what? Nice. Um, I like the excitement in the question. Um,
1: so basically, the first thing that I get people to look at um, when it comes to cravings is why and what are they craving. So, so those are the first two things I get to look at. Let's look at why first of all. Um, people eat for a number of reasons. It's social. It's uh, you know, it could be because they're bored, it could be because they're hungry. But funnily enough, it's generally not because they're hungry. So I often ask people to assess what they're doing and feeling when they get hungry, okay? So when they get that craving, then I go, well, okay, be mindful, sit for a moment, and just go, well, what am I doing right now, okay? you know, Often you'll find that if people aren't doing anything, They're sitting on the couch or they're watching TV or doing something that's not very stimulating. Craving will come and it's just a boredom thing. It's just because they're in that sort of lull, they're in that boredom, oh, I've got to eat, okay, so they'll go and grab whatever they can. And often people who don't exercise and people who aren't quite aware of food um, or what they are eating, I guess, in general, um, get those cravings because it's a consistent craving. It just happens. It's like, okay, so I'm sitting on the couch. Okay, so I'm a bit bored and I have some food. So that's the first thing, I get people to be mindful of why they're, you know, what they're doing and why that thought that feeling has come on. Second of all, I ask people to assess what they're craving, okay? Because craving one thing is very different to craving another. If you're craving food in general, okay, that's very different to craving chocolate, which is very different to craving, you know, because you are starving, because you need food, okay? So if, for example, you've got someone who is, um, you know, who is craving chocolate, like let's say me, for example, um, I've got reached the end of my day, I'm just winding down, going, go, man, I'm craving chocolate, craving ice cream, craving something, like, you know, that's a bit sweet. That could be potentially because the rest of the day I've been eating, you know, not a you know, not, not those sort of foods, I've been enjoying, uh, you know, some uh, veggies every meal, I've been smashing protein, um, and now I've reached that point where I'm like, you know what, I want to have that 5%, that extra little treat, okay? Um, often when it comes to these cases, I say to have the craving, to enjoy that, to in moderation, obviously, because then long-term, you're not restricting yourself from that craving. So inherently by doing that, it curbs the long-term craving, where you're not sitting there going, can't have chocolate, and the next day you're going, can't have chocolate, and the next day you're going, can't have chocolate, and therefore, you binge on chocolate on the weekend, because all you're craving is chocolate. It's allowing yourself to indulge in that craving slightly. So, from those two sort of points and those answers, I hope that people can see that cravings are more of a mental thing, rather than just a physiological thing. We don't sit there and go, you know, Okay, um, it's X amount of time since food. Okay, now it's time to eat our clock. Our body is, you know, like a big clock. However, at the end of the day, we can go for ages without food. Okay, and we, you know, often in society have food all around us, and cravings come from the ability to look on TV and see a McDonald's ad and look out the window and see flipping awesome across the road of my house. Um, that's when those cravings come on. But look, you can help yourself a little bit in, uh, you know, dieting periods. So I've obviously been speaking about in general. I Many people who are dieting, things like contest preparations, um, these are some examples that I use with myself and some of my um, um, people who have done long dieting phases, but that's to make sure that you're eating uh, foods that are high in volume, okay, things that are, you know, low calorie, high volume, so your veggies, foods with uh, a lot of water content in them are quite filling, um, generally foods that are high in fiber because it adds, um, yeah, it adds a lot of um, uh, bulk to the gut. Which keeps you full, um, and basically, here's a little fun fact for you: when food presses on the stomach lining, that's what—that's what, um, uh, what's the word? That's what uh, signals to you that you are full. Okay, so when you have, I guess, let's look at oil. <laughs> oil's always one I use. If you drink a gallon of oil, actually, that's a lot. If you have having teaspoon <laughs> of oil and it's sitting in your stomach, huh. it's not really—it's—it's it's not really adding any bulk. Okay, so it's not filling. That's why oil, for example, isn't filling. But oil is also very <laughs> high in calories. So, you know, if you look at fats, for example, there's nine calories per gram of fat. Okay, think of how much, you know, you've got in a, like I'm looking at the spray oil that's sitting over there and that's 300 grams just in that little uh, canister. How many calories would be in that whole thing? There'd be a lot because there's not much bulk there. Okay, however, if you look at green leafy veggies or spinach or something like that, they are quite bulky um, per calorie content. That's why when you eat foods like that. High fiber foods, oats. They sit in your stomach. They fill you up, and that actually helps to stop um, you then craving more food um, long term. But so first of all, assess why you how what you're feeling at the time of the craving. Look at what it is you're craving. Can you actually enjoy that and indulge in it, or is it just basically a fleeting moment? You might be able to pay attention to that feeling, let it move on, just like um, you know we we preached and preach, just like we um, spoke about in our mindfulness chat um, back in episode. Four.
0: Three, four, yeah, Three or four. something like
1: that. Um, you know, these feelings come. You just let it. You listen to them, and you move them on. Um, but at the end of the day, also there are tools such as eating higher volume foods that you can use to protein as well as another one protein is very filling. Um, that you can use to keep your full and therefore not really crave. Mm-hmm.
0: Speaking of comprehensive answers, knocked it out of the park. I went really in depth there. I Got on a bit of a tantrum. Can so I ask you one more about that? What about sure, low can. GI foods? Low GI foods. So, so basically. The way I get people
1: to look at the glycemic index is just higher GI your high sugar, low GI you you know, let's put it as your higher fiber, more filling foods. When it comes to the lower GI foods, because they are higher in fiber, they are both more filling, but they also take longer to break down. So therefore, you're going to have a slower um, uptake in glucose in the blood. Therefore, you're not going to have, I guess, that signal that you need to eat again soon, Um, which in regards to exercise, so going on to exercise isn't necessarily a good thing because we want to have higher GI foods, we want to have that ready sugar coming to the bloodstream so that we can perform um, the task that's required. However, when it comes to the lower GI foods, um, they are more filling, okay? And that's why often in a period of dieting or when we look at someone who hasn't really, um, you know, who hasn't really managed their eating very well, we notice that they, predominantly make up their carbohydrate intake with higher GI foods and that's what you call the re-made sugars and processed and all that shit um that's the way i sort of explain the glycemic index to go in depth in the glycemic index is almost like it's completely unnecessary apart from what i've just said there i feel personally um some might not agree but you don't need to break down you know the rest of it it's quite simple
0: beautiful good wrap up cool
1: um mate here we go brenton eggleston so i think is his third question to the show too big fan of the show yes he is and we're not uh, we're not taking the piss when we say that so <laughs> thanks for writing brenton um 20 years ago electrical machines were the gold standard physio treatment with evidence and experts advocating them so what makes you think that exercises as therapy won't be similar and in 20 years will be considered old school
0: that is That is such a good question. Cracker of a question. That is such a good question. I will say, Brenton does have a physio background. He's actually a physio for for Melbourne Demons in the AFL. He's also got a a great little side business um, called Enhanced Physiotherapy in both Maribyrnong and... Footscre. Yeah, well, no, wrong, no, Williamson. So Edelman. quick, quick shout outs. To Sorry, enhanced. I, I spoke
1: over you. Then just go back a second. Quick
0: shout out to Enhanced Physiotherapy. Um, now, very, very true. So when I obviously got into physio, I was a kid and a teenager, and I was getting injured and going to physios. And and what physio back then was is you'd go into a room, you'd have a couple of quick tests, you'd get a very vague diagnosis, and you'd be. Inevitably placed in under some sort of electrotherapy machine whether that's in differential whether that was tens Whether that was ultrasound a number of other things um, This was the most popular way that pretty much the vast majority of our industry treated their clients back then now um, Brenton's question said you know these electrical machines were the gold standard physio treatment, with evidence and experts advocating them Yes, experts advocated them. yes, they were probably the most popular Was the evidence ever actually overwhelming about electrotherapy well? The honest answer to that is I'm not entirely sure because these modalities were super popular in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Now, I wasn't around in the 70s and 80s, and I was a kid in the 90s, so I wasn't all over the uh, the research and the medical journals throughout those decades, unfortunately. It was a little bit prior to my time, but there obviously was some positive evidence to say that these things had you know some sort of positive influence in terms of pain relief, injury um, treatment, and tissue healing. But... I would be very, very surprised if the evidence was ever absolutely overwhelming. I think there was probably other reasons why they were popularized. Unfortunately, one of those reasons is that it allowed physios the ability to treat multiple people at one time. On. Because I could see someone with a sore knee, whack an electrotherapy machine on them for 15 or 20 minutes, go to the next room and treat someone with a sore back, do exactly the same, and all of a sudden, I'm bringing in two, three, four, Different amounts of income at exactly the same time. Now that sounds horrible to say, and that's how a lot of physios in the old school, taking a really old school approach, used to operate. Um, and having you know biases towards these electrotherapy devices allowed them to do that. Which essentially, you know, you think you know ching ching money coming in is a good thing for business. However, what we now know is that there's close to zero evidence. Well, the evidence actually completely says that these things are not effective and pretty much don't offer any benefits at all apart from potentially a placebo. So, I mean, first of all, this is is already a long-winded answer, but I don't think the evidence was ever overwhelming for electrotherapy. Um, Whereas for exercise, it's very, very different. Now, the evidence for exercise is absolutely overwhelming for many, many conditions. So I'm talking shoulder pain, neck pain, back pain, hip pain, knee pain, ankle pain. There is so much research and evidence to say that exercise is an effective method of treatment for all of these different conditions, okay? and the exercise, the benefits of exercise go beyond just the pain relief and tissue healing sort of promises that we've heard from electrotherapy over the time. Um, because exercise, you know, has many non-specific benefits. It's not just relevant to the injury that we're treating. We're talking cardiovascular health, you know, your heart and your lungs, preventing heart disease and lung disease, slowing down muscle atrophy as we age, mental health benefits, which is becoming so much more popular, um, prevention and treatment of other chronic diseases such as osteoarthritis and osteo- uh, osteoporosis. You know, there's so much evidence to say that exercise is great for pain relief, tissue healing and acute injury management, but the benefits go above and beyond this. And I think that's why in 20 years time, all these benefits aren't gonna go away. um, Whereas electrotherapy never really had that essentially now as i said i'll be super 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 surprised if exercise therapy isn't even more advocated and there's not even more evidence to support it in 20 years time and becomes even more popular than it is now which i really hope is the case um and i'll be very 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 surprised if it is considered old school but as i said to you before um about the quote that i heard this week is to have strong opinions but don't hold on them too tightly because things do change research and science evolves and we all need to be adaptable leave our stubbornness, our egos, our biases at the door sometimes, especially in the world of healthcare. Um, Because being a health professional is not one of these jobs where you can learn something once and just practice like that for the rest of your life because things move on. And if I'm still practicing exactly the same way that I am today in five and ten years' time, then I'd probably be pretty disappointed because I'm, I mean I've been in the industry for seven years now, and the things that I do now are vastly, vastly different to what I was doing six or seven years ago. And it's not to say that I was bad at my job back then, but it's that we need to be adaptable and evolve um, based on trends, research, literature, um, you know, science. So, um, yeah, I think that's my summary. Holy shit. <laughs> Mate, these answers are getting more comprehensive
1: each time. That was awesome because that was such a good question too. It was like, I um, I really like your little closing point there. Mm. I think um, we do have to be adaptable. I look, I've got a uh, question that I'm bringing in here. So, oh, sorry, actually, we have a question here from JY69. And <coughs> <he's, laughs> that was, that was uh, that was the person who wrote in, and they say is that your, num- your footy number for the
0: Hampton Rovers third yeah. <laughs> mate it's the last jumper they had available uh, <laughs> when they robbed her. Mate, um, if there was only one jumper available you would have jumped on that
1: yeah mate I love the Hampton Rovers <coughs> uh, all my boys I can't wait to get down to pre-season once I take some time off work so to the 30,000 different questions that I've received from everyone about am I coming down to training <laughs> i putting on the air right now no i <laughs> will <laughs> <laughs> come down for a couple of sessions and i off work so oh, well wow. can't wait to uh, tear it up down the back pocket for, uh, like the bath fifths or something. Like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, this is actually the question that I asked. Sorry, we weren't a huge hand in there. This is the question that I asked you in the gym yesterday. So we were training yesterday, and I um, I wanted to find out from you why is it that you're able to get results with your clients whilst others are not? Um, you gave me a really good answer, which I'm I want you to give the people in a second. I just want to tie it into Eagle's question, there just in regards to you know old school sort of um approaches to physiotherapy and how I've, you mentioned to me a lot of clinics don't really look to further their knowledge or their research and they're sort of stuck in this clinic-wide education level that is dated back 20 30 years ago so do you want to do you wanna touch on that just
0: a little bit um i want to start by saying i probably don't love that question because it probably makes me sound a bit elitist then i'm not the only one that gets results with my clients and oftentimes i don't as well so Um, I want to be very clear let me just let
1: me let let me do it this way (laughs) guys I'm I'm not on this podcast with Chris because um, he's a one of my good mates because he's not Um, (laughs) 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 no he is Uh, put that caveat there but he um, he is definitely one of the uh, one of the most trusted health professionals that I know that I can generally send almost anyone to and know that they're going to get something out of meeting and seeing Chris which is very rare I find in the physiotherapy world no elitism or anything it's just the same as the pt world there are a lot of pts and health professionals who aren't probably of the caliber that you know you'd hope I guess it's the same in every industry, I know, but do you want to explain just why um, why you seem to be able to get results whereas a lot of others can't?
0: Um, yeah, look, I think I'm more comfortable with you bagging me talking to you about me. Nah. You? <laughs> yeah, um, that's so uncomfortable. Oh, no, seriously, I don't know what to say now. But um, in all seriousness, I think, like we said, in the physio world, that electrotherapy example is a great one where there were so many physios um, that built their business um, and built their brand based on these old school modalities. And if you become successful and you can run a business which puts money on the table and puts money in your bank and puts food on the table for your family and allows you to have a lifestyle that you want, doing things one way, well, it's very, very difficult to, once research evolves, potentially adapt and change and and leave those thoughts behind because you've done this well for so long, um, all your clients come to know and expect that and then to suddenly shift away from that, is a huge challenge to people and like we, it's any, easy for us for me to sit back and say oh there's old school physios who have been operating this way and they see three or four clients at once and they use using electrotherapy machines and geez they're no bloody good and they need to get take a look at themselves but these people have been operating successful businesses and have had happy clients coming to them for years and years and years it's very very difficult for them to change like yes they should and as I said as health professionals we need to be adaptable we need to be up to date with science and research and we always need to be bettering ourselves and improving ourselves but a lot of people don't and, and as much as I disagree with, you know, that old school approach and, and not adapting and changing and learning, I can also see why they do it. Um, you know, I, I suppose for me, I, I've always had a passion for exercise and a bias towards exercise well beyond my university days. And it, that's probably held me in good stead as a physio because now the evidence is shifting so much more towards exercise based rehab for the treatment of many, many conditions as we just sort of spoke about. So that bias that I've had since I was a kid who just loved kicking a footy and, you know, hitting a cricket ball, has held me in good stead professionally, you know, 20-odd, 25 years later, which I suppose I'm really, really lucky about. Um, I suppose the other thing I think is, as a business owner myself, the reality is, you know, I am generally in a job that I love, which is fantastic, but we all do work to make money. We need to make money to pay the bills and put food on the table and, and whatever, so, not only do I want to better myself and do professional development and keep up to date with research to do a better job for my clients, because I think that is my duty as a health professional, but I need to do that for my business to be successful. Because if I still practice the same way I did previously and I don't keep up to date, people will overtake me. And not only one, will I not be offering a good service, but two, my business is gonna go backwards and I'm not gonna be able to pay for my mortgage. Do you know what I mean? So. As a business owner, it's that sort of motivates me and drives me as well, which a lot of people sort of don't consider. Um, And there's people that aren't that because there's many, many people, as I said, that work in big physio clinics that are maybe run by old school physios who don't have that sort of care or you know that sort of drive for professional development and constant learning, and they're happy to sort of rock up to their nine to five or twelve to eight you know physio jobs and and see the people that their bosses send them and and probably not push themselves and better themselves. Um, And I, I suppose it's those people that would. Potentially get left behind. They can't just spin their wheels. Um, yeah, I don't know how I've answered that, mate. If no, it, no, that no, sort that of makes, makes sense at all. Sense. But but well, look, um, like the way the way I sort of tied into the exercise food is you have
1: a lot of PT businesses and a lot of um, you know gyms and I like again we don't like using examples on this podcast apart from uh, the therapy example that we went on about last week. But something like an F forty five. At the end of the day, like um, we look at these businesses and a lot of. You know, the PTs and my sort of side, um, coaches, they sort of say, well, how stupid is F45? I could see it's super dumb. But at the end of the day, if you get a successful studio that's churning out, you know, hundreds of people a day through a successful system that, you know, to some extent, F45 does get results. In certain people, it does. Whether that's <laughs> luck, whether it's not. But it's, I've never personally done F45. Yeah. Looking on the outside, in, I, you know, I don't agree with them you know, the way in which they train. However, why would their owners or their coaches who have a successful system change anything? Like, if they're making money, people are happy enough, well, then, you know, it's different. If the studio is going under, I'm sure they'll turn around and go, okay, we're we're doing something wrong here, but the problem is that they're the fastest-growing franchise. And I think looking on the outside, and a lot of, you know, physios, like you did say, and just going off your answer there, it is true. Like, if you do have a successful business and you do have people coming back to you, why would you change anything a lot of these physios might be very very good talkers they might be very you know nice you know personable people Mm. and a lot of their business is built on referrals and word of mouth as we all know Mm. if they're continuously getting people in the door and you know have a successful uh uh center running well then you don't really need to educate and don't forget those top you know those centers often have you know a head physio who then employs others, and if the head physio is having his pockets lined and everything's great, and he doesn't need to change anything, well, he's never gonna further his education, he's never gonna spur anyone else on to further their education, and then you've got dark age
0: physiotherapy, so. I think the last thing I'll touch on is, I mean, every single profession in the world there's good and bad in. Yeah, it's Um, it's the same. My profession and your profession is is just like that. The last thing I'll say is so important in any job to be successful or to be good at what you do is enjoyment. Because if you enjoy what you do, you're gonna wanna be good at it, you're gonna be driven Mm. to improve, and you're gonna be better. you don't enjoy what you do you not and i have personally seen plenty of physios who don't like being a physio but they do it because we all need to work and yeah. it's probably this uh, the same with personal trainers there's plenty that are super driven and motivated and have great careers and do it because they genuinely love helping people mm-hmm. and there's others who do it because geez it's very easy to get a cert three and a four and in a couple of months time and be qualified as a personal trainer and have this cool job at a gym and they rock up for a paycheck do you know what i mean yep. and, and they're the ones that aren't going to get a good results yeah. and aren't going to be as good for their clients there's as the people that generally do yeah. enjoy what they do and I said I'm pretty, it sounds so corny and cliche, but I'm lucky enough to say I do enjoy my job and I know that you're the same and that, I think if you're enjoying what you do, you're halfway to success and if you're not enjoying something, well then, you know, that's fine. You don't have to. Um, probably do something else. We're in
1: industries that is, like you said, they're ever changing mm-hmm. and good coaches adapt to it. Even, you know, great coaches are the ones who potentially look at how they can last in that industry. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be a, a you know a basic physiotherapist or coach for the rest of your life well you actually you could but potentially that's going to lead to probably pretty low job satisfaction and you're going to turn around and end up going to another career but I think you and I have both moved from you know being um I remember when you were working at Back in Motion mm. for example you know you you're working as a I assume you're a subcontractor or part-time or something there um but I was obviously I've worked as a subcontractor I've um, been a business owner now I'm working in management it's at the end of the day there's plenty of ways you can move up but it comes from i feel like learning i feel like it's the ability to sort of learn and further your skills and adapt to your industry um and you know grow into new roles or create you know be motivated to keep learning it's it's always it's that sort of always have a beginner's mindset which i love as well and i think once you start making the big dough a lot of people sort of stop they don't need to learn anymore because they're comfortable and yeah i think we've just answered that question ourselves so well done brilliant that was um,
0: really good mate. that was really good these rants and rags mate these are the conversations that i genuinely love having and why i've enjoyed season one of Chewing the fat so much we're half an hour and I honestly thought this would be a half hour podcast But we've got five questions left so let's <laughs> spell through them pretty yeah, quickly what do you reckon yeah. um max underscore underscore asks What are the best ways to measure progress in the gym, especially when I don't have a specific goal? I just want to be sure that my efforts are paying off. Maximus.
1: Um, So, Max, big fan of the podcast, actually. Um, Best ways to measure progress in the gym. Um, First of all, uh, this is going to kind of contradict his question, but I feel you should have a goal. I feel like most people do start training, obviously, because... Sometimes training is just something to do, a lot of their mates are doing it, why not do it? i was just in that zone, I want to look better, but I never really gave two shits um, when I first began. But I think most people should come in with some form of goal. And it's really important to break down why you are at the gym. And it's funny, if you ask the questions to yourself, or as a coach, I ask my clients the question. If you say, why are you here? Someone will go, you know, ah, oh, because I've got nothing better to do. And you go, well, why don't you have anything better to do? And they'll go, oh, well, because I'm pretty bored. And you go, well, why are you bored? And they'll go, oh, because you know, work's not that interesting. Oh, why is work not that interesting? Why is work not that interesting? And they'll go, oh, I don't really enjoy it. And then they'll say, I'll say, why don't you enjoy work? And they say, oh, because my boss is a prick. And you say, why is your boss a prick? He doesn't let me spend time at home with my kids. And then you go, oh, do you want to spend time with your kids? He goes, yeah. Um, You know. Why do you want to spend time with the kids so my wife will stop nagging? And then he starting to go down this rabbit hole of questions <laughs> to where he then ended up turning around and going, actually, I just want to be more appreciated for, you know, the, the person that I am and feel more confident so I can stand up to my boss and my wife or whatever it is. Okay, and then he go, oh, all right, cool, we got a we got a goal here. Deep, but we got there. Yeah, We got there." <laughs> so when it comes to measuring progress, I guess it, it's based around that goal. Okay, so sorry, I wanted to just preface with that. But depending on the goal, obviously, if your goal is to get bigger, if your goal is to get stronger, you need to be, first of all, putting numbers on the bar, okay? There needs to be some form of increase in volume. Uh, You need to be able to look in the mirror and feel like you can see a difference in muscle size or in aesthetics. Um, And obviously, day-to-day differences are quite low. I'm talking on a uh, larger time frame. Things like um, objective feedback from a coach is really good, Um, progress photos every month, Um, circumference measurements. um, Like, you know, you can look at uh, things like BIAs and DEXA scans, whether they're exactly accurate is another story, but it is still measurable data. These are ways to assess, you know, which direction I guess it's also the same with the opposite of fat loss. Um, you can assess the variables to work out which direction you're going. But then at the end of the day as well, like I look at people who maybe don't have the specific goal to get bigger, to get stronger, to lose weight. Maybe it is something like they just want to feel, you know, like they're doing something. They want to have something to do then and feel purpose. How many gym sessions are you doing a week? Oh, they're doing two a week? Oh, cool. Well, now they're doing six. One of my good mates, um, his goal is to lose a little bit of weight. And he was saying to me the other day that he... Fucking hated going to the gym and he hadn't told me this for a very long time and he said he hated going to the gym um, and that he would always find an excuse to not do it and find another you know another reason to pull out and now he's going to the gym five days a week and he is doing that because we're all training as a big group so he's coming with us and he's enjoying the process it's now not a chore for him because he gets to see his mates and you know become a part of it and all that um, and he's losing weight and he's getting stronger and he's looking better, and he's looking happier, and he's looking fitter, and it's it's going up from there. So, for him, for example, has his have his have his efforts been paid off, paying off? Well, yeah, obviously, he doesn't have a specific goal as per se, but you can measure progress by the fact that he's gone from doing two sessions that he fucking hates a week to doing five and loving it and not finding it like a chore. That's progress. So. There's a number of billion different ways. That's a real roundabout answer. Sorry, Maximus. But I uh, I think it just depends on what your goal is and then looking at the different, you know, the different variables that you
0: can measure. You can measure anything. This question resonates with me a little bit because obviously like if you do have a specific goal measuring progress is easy. If it's weight loss, well then how much weight you lose? It? If it's strength, well it's how strong you are. But when you don't have a specific goal, like this resonates with me because that's me at the moment. I, If you ask me what my goal is in the gym, I don't have anything mm-hmm. specific I'm working towards. But even without a specific goal, like you said, you've always got a why. Yeah. And I've got why. That's why I go to the gym. Um, and, and a couple for me personally is I want to maintain my body composition because I sort of want to look good and feel good about myself. Mm. I, oh, um, I want one. to prevent injuries. That's I want to prevent chronic disease and health issues and be generally fit one. and healthy because it's, you know, it's my job, it's my world, it's my passion and I, I know how important exercise in general is. Um, and I think it's also really important for my mental health as well because I feel better about myself having exercise on any sort of given day. So I don't have a specific goal. How do I measure progress towards something? Well, I, I can't because I'm not trying to lose weight or put on size or get you know deadlift 400 kilos. But I can say, I can measure my progress by saying, okay, I'm enjoying going to gym. My mental health is pretty yeah. good. I feel better about myself. I'm happy with my body composition sitting at where it's at. I'm injury-free, and I'm generally healthy. And yeah. Yeah. So for me, I don't have a goal, but I can measure my progress based on my why's. And your why's, Max, might be similar to mine. They might be different to mine. But even when we don't have specific goals, there's always a reason, like you said, why we ask you step through those the questions. door. And sometimes you have to delve pretty deep into, yeah. it. like you said, asking those questions to actually discover what your why is. It might not necessarily be that obvious, but once you can find your why... You'll be able to see what progress you And I know
1: one of your wives as well is just to look like an absolute gun in those uh, budgie smugglers with your misses at the hot
0: springs. <laughs>
1: if anyone hasn't seen Chris's uh, Instagram recently. Oh, <laughs> check the rig on him. Uh, he's he's Um But also, <laughs> like you said, um, shit, I've lost
0: what I was going to say. Let's move on. Okay. Nathan asks, and this is a really good question, I like this one. How many plates is acceptable to leave on the leg press? Is this is for me. Well, both of us. I've got an opinion. I want to hear yours. Ooh, why am I first? I
1: don't know. You're oh, okay. the team guy. Um, it depends. <laughs> 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 it really does. No, I want a specific number of sides. So, okay, so if I'm training... I remember at JPS, we used to generally leave 225s on each side. Yep. Because the carriage... On each side? Uh, no, 125 on each side. Sorry, we'd leave 225s on it. So it's about 50 kilos, okay? On the carriage, it was, I think this is at Port Melbourne, the carriage, which is now three point training, so they can probably back this. Um, the carriage is very light. So there's not many people out there who get in the carriage and go, oh shit, this is a bit heavy. 50 kilos on a leg press for most people on that carriage, I don't actually think it ended up being 50 kilos. Like some of them might be a bit of loading discrepancy, but the, the 50 kilo minimum saved us having to put twenty fives on for every single client. So we'd always leave twenty fives on. However. Now working in a commercial gym, or running my uh, my training out of a commercial gym. None. There should be no plates on the leg press. Really? There should be no plates on the leg press. Why? Then, so what if old old woman Mavis comes in and she goes, "Oh, I don't feel it. I just you know roll the arm over on the leg press." Is that what they do? Roll the <laughs> arm over on the leg press. I was thinking about your cricket, um, but they, she wants to jump on the leg press and there's fucking bolt plates on it couple of red bickies on there and she's sitting there going well yeah I can't get these off I'm 80 years old if she'd been doing strength training her whole life she'd be able to get them off isn't that right Chris correct um but um she's been too busy with Theragun's guns electrotherapy.
0: electrotherapy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: The the correct answer in that situation is zero. But old woman Mavis wasn't coming to JPS slash three-point training. So, therefore, leaving 50 kilos on the leg press was acceptable. So, it depends on which gym it is. Chris, please, back
0: up here. My answer is two plates. Whether they're 20 or 25 kilos, my answer's always been two plates. Now, my biases are towards, I work in personal trainer studios that are largely younger population, so most people are leg pressing over 50 kilos. I get what you're saying, but I think... For the vast majority, they're going to be leg-pressing more than that, which means if you've got zero plates on, it's more work for them to put it on. And if there's two already, then that helps. And if someone wants to wants to leg-press either one plate or no plates, well, it's just as quick for them to take them off as it is for the next person to jump on and who wants to go 100, 200, 150, 200 kilos. I think two plates is a nice
1: round number. Uh, that, like I said to you, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> However, you're talking about a gym where old woman Mavis isn't training. And if she comes in there and she's... Uh
0: Mavis is all about it, mate. She can squat, she can deadlift, she can leg like, press. She can handle the 50 kilos. No, she, right? can she can handle the 50 seen kilos.
1: CB physiotherapy for her uh, yeah. osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, 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 which has been yep. completely prevented
0: yep. and managed. So. I'm thinking of
1: like, Skinner's mum in The Simpsons. Like That's the woman I'm thinking of. Well, <laughs> uh, well, uh, can I come to... She's not! It was oh,
0: um, Skinner. <laughs> Luke Lantini. Um, asks, another big fan of the show, what job would you do if you weren't doing the one you're in now?
1: Oh, that's a
0: good question. Chris. Chris. Um well I had a bit of a thinking about this on the on the way to record this today. Um I sort of fell into physio a bit because it was never like something that I wanted to do forever. Um uh, as like sort of a teenager, I was never really convinced on any sort of career path except that I was really interested in the police force and the fire brigade. Um, and I probably would have gone into either of those straight from school if I could, but you needed a full driver's license. Um, and so I was like, well, I better go and kill a bit of time at uni for a few years. Um, and I was looking at sports management, sports science type courses um, and actually surprised myself with how well I went and, and sort of fell into physio because I didn't think I was smart enough to get in, to be brutally honest. So yeah, nice. either police force or fire brigade, um, which who knows, one day there could be a... A late career change and head down one of those paths. They say uh, that most
1: people change their careers. I think every yeah, it's like every ten years or so. Like I think you're the, gonna change your career three or four times. I think
0: the life. average physio lifespan is seven years. I could have that wrong, but I think He's it's seven eight years. Eight and I've been in this business seven years now, so I'm probably due for a change. <laughs> yep, yep. But in all seriousness, I love what I do, and I'm probably not going to change anytime soon. But that would probably be me. No, yeah. Nice, be it's a cop or a fiery Not bad. Mate. You? Not bad. Um, Don't say bulldogs, Black, Well It depends. We all know I, that's not realistic. Yeah,
1: well, we all know I can't get out of the bath fits. So. <laughs> when um when I was uh, first fresh out of school, I uh, I was studying music. So my dream when I was a little bit younger actually probably wasn't a dream because it was a dream I'd worked a lot harder for it. This is something that I mm. you know I learned as I grew up. Yep. Um, I would have, uh, would have tried a little bit harder, but the um uh, the musician sort of side of me, I guess, would it be, was where I was sort of going, whether it was music teaching or something like that, um, when I, I was trying to, like, juggle both the study of music and then my PT course, and it was the PT course that was the passion that took over from there. Um, but if I had to pick any job right now, this might be an interesting one. Really we good. We're going to be a chippy. Chippy? You? We're going to be a chippy. Why? I reckon I'd be a chippy. I reckon, be a chippy. Uh, I reckon the perks of the job are good. Uh, I reckon the lows I could deal with because there's a lot of uh, lows that are probably still not as low as some of the uh, things that you deal with as a PT. We won't go into that. Maybe that's a podcast episode. Like the lows of the jobs. Um, but also like tradies are jacked. So like <laughs> imagine like, you know, we're well, not all...
0: Knock on the 3.30, straight to the gym the before
1: we Get out. Uh, get to the gym in your... Um, in your, what they call them, your steel tops. And your steel tops. Um, <laughs> and you just smell like shit normally. So, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Um, but yeah, like, I actually, I've always thought there's a bit of me that's always looked at. They, I've actually thought about it a couple of times over the past three or four years. I've been like, if I was to get out of this, I'd probably go. And the only thing that's if that stopped me when I had a midlife crisis at 25 a couple of years ago, the only thing that stopped me is the fact that I was going to have to go and, you know, whatever do the apprenticeship and all that shit and I was like nah I can't fucking do that again so that was uh, that was what stopped me but yeah there you go there you go I'd be a horrendous tradie so that certainly wouldn't be me see I'd probably be real shit actually you're sitting in my apartment right now and I've built everything in this place so
0: I'm just going to say
1: that like nothing's broken what I built
0: do you mean follow the instructions for I care no, doesn't care, care. as me soon care. as the
1: boxes get here, I'll rip the instructions and eat them and then just like the energy that comes from that paper just makes me fueled with Trade knowledge of how to build this cabinet. I think that's a cue to move right away.
0: <laughs> um, the last question, JY, is from Mary Lewis? Mary. Or is it Mary with two R's? Is that Mary? Mary Lewis. Anyway, Mary or Mary. Who knows. <laughs> um, she's got a big, big question um, and the future of this podcast is going to depend on your answer, mate. Um, tomato sauce, fridge or cupboard? Open my fridge. Oh my god, I'm so scared. (laughs) I'm so
1: scared. This is live on the podcast. You can't see this guys, (laughs)
0: but we're done. It's been good. Season one of Join the Fat will be the last. I can no longer work with JY, his sauce is in the fridge. We're done. (laughs) We're done
1: it's Can disgraceful that's, disgraceful. Why, does sauce go in that's the cupboard? disgraceful why does sauce go in the cupboard
0: because sauce that's cold going on a hot food is just a horrendous contrast it needs to be room temperature
1: I love that contrast oh. I reckon it's great I reckon Jesus. that a little bit of, so okay so do you have ice cream on your uh, on your um, your pudding I put a little bit of put. <laughs> have
0: you seen that? Okay, okay, well, ice yeah, cream, so you have cold, cold ice cream, cold ice cream on a hot, like apple pie, yes. But Oh, where's the contrast? Because oh. it's different, that's dessert. Dessert is very, very oh, different to an old meal. God, oh, come get off it. I thought I knew you, and I thought
1: yeah, i liked say you're saying that, that had cold sauce on a hot dog is not,
0: is it is different. 100% needs to be is. room temperature, mate. That's oh. ridiculous. No, ridiculous. one of the biggest mysteries of life is why the label on every single tomato sauce bottle is actually wrong and it says to, you should keep it in the fridge like I don't know how they haven't corrected that typo after all these years anyway I was really excited I'm so flied about that I can't believe your sauce is in the fridge Jesus we'll wow, have to put a poll fun. out to the listeners to, to settle this Woo! okay uh, well I reluctantly say that I don't know why we're giving you a job of quote of the week you're clearly not as wise as I thought you were um, but yeah you've got some sort of quote for us mate Please. Yes, mate. I'm, I don't know what to say to be honest. Um, but let's just uh, maybe maybe just set the quote and fuck the joke off because I just think you're,
1: you've lost the pot, mate. Um, oh,
0: well, it's never been so much tension on children. Sure it thought. really hasn't, has it? All right, fine.
1: Well, Here's my question. Um, when the, sh- the question, <laughs> the quote. Um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. This is uh, by Robin Sharma in a great book called The Monk That Sold His Ferrari. Actually, I gave this book a 6 out of 10, and I'll explain why in another day. So it's not a great Uh, book, it's just a mediocre book? It's a mediocre book, but it's got some good knowledge The Monk That Sold His Ferrari. Ferrari, um, It's basically like just how to get out of the the 21st century thinking of like, you know, the world is all about fast cars and, um, you know, lots of money and heavy jobs and all that, and it basically goes into this mindset sort of like how to... Um, you know, follow specific values at a very monkly, monkly. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so when the student is ready, the teacher <laughs> appears, and I think that's um, that's that sort of beginner's mindset that I was uh, that I was discussing before. I think that um, you can never force someone to learn, or you can never expect someone to you know want to learn. I guess um, unless it's of their own accord. Um, it's the same. I said, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, I said there was a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, which is another quote that I had, um, which is by unknown. Um, and it's the same sort of thing. Like you have to be in the zone, you know, to want to learn. If you're a physiotherapist making a physio is making bulk dollars, why would you want to learn? You're, a, you know, you, you've got a successful system. That man's not gonna. Not going to be a student. He doesn't want to be a student. The teacher's not going to appear. But if you're a man like yourself,
0: Christopher, who's always ready to learn, well, here I am, mate. I'm ready to teach. Well, good that you're ready to teach. But whenever you're ready to learn and be a student, I'll happily teach you as to why your tomato sauce is in the wrong location. Yeah, it's on my carpet. Um, throw it, you dog. Joke of the week. Look, I do want to finish up on a slightly serious note before the joke. He's going to get my sauce. <laughs> once I genuinely like none of this was actually scripted i had no idea that was in the fridge and i got a rude shock but um on a serious note once again i want to say a huge huge thank you to all the listeners on this first series and showing the fat we've had an absolute ball um a little lockdown project has become um yeah, a pretty big ordeal for us and absolutely loved doing this with you jay up until the last 10 minutes um so Please um, come back in 2021, listen again, give us the feedback, like we said, good and bad. we love to hear it all. Um, yeah, I just want to say a massive thank you. A huge Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all our listeners. Um, and we look forward to chatting to you and showing some more facts early in the new year. We,
1: uh, we're we going to be uh, starting again in 2021, the year of the Bulldogs. So guys, thank you very much. It has been fun. Chris, sorry. Yeah. On Go that note,
0: out, on that note, with the festive season upon us, a little Christmas joke for the listeners. Jay, what That's did Adam say the day before Christmas? What did Adam say the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. <laughs>